Hello, and welcome to Are You Karate Kidding Me? Your source for Karate Kid and Cobra Kai research, analysis, uh, random geekery, recaps, yes. On all things related to what we call the Miyagi-verse. Yes. So today we will be talking about the Karate Kid Part 2. That's um, right. It's, yes. Yes. So we're about halfway through Cobra Kai, and we're going to take a s- step back and look at the sequel to the original Karate Kid. Which, fun fact, we had a higher gross than the original. That is a pretty fun fact. Another fun fact is that they shot it all in Hawaii, not Okinawa. Well, they did go to Okinawa on like a fact-finding mission. They did their research. For the movie, but because of the post-war economic situation in Japan, and in that particular location, there wasn't a whole lot to work with in terms of um, the idyllic village that Mr. Miyagi came from. And from a production standpoint, shooting, you know, domestically, you know, may have worked out mathematically in their favor rather than hauling the entire production to a small remote area of Japan for you know, months and months. Sure. Yeah, no. Um, But anyway. Ain't gonna knock it. It's a beautiful film. Uh, Exactly. So you might want to settle in for this one. It's long. This is a nearly two-hour movie, and we're going to talk while watching it. We're not keyed directly to the show, so we won't Yeah, this isn't a commentary by any means. But it it will be almost the same length. So prepare for that. Feel free to pause us if you need to, but we hope you stick with it. But we've got a lot of movie to get to, so I think we... So much movie. Yes, hop right in. So without further ado, here's The Karate Kid Part 2. The legend of Mr. Miyagi's gold. That's right. (laughs) Karate Kid 2. What do we want to say just in general while the movie's booting up? I saw this movie in the theater. I saw this movie in the theater, and I was very, very excited about it, having watched The Karate Kid five million times on VHS. Um, And I, as for reasons that I will mention in the film, I was a little disappointed by it, but I was also very compelled by the world that it showed, because it, it did something that a lot of movies I was watching at that time as a kid did, which was go to a completely different place, set the story from the POV of an older August character on his on a later life journey. I also want to point out as the credits roll that this they're playing very dramatic music mm-hmm. at the beginning of this movie. Like oh, yeah, the oh, the opening credits are way more dramatic than the uh, than the original Karate Kid, and yeah. they sound much much more. From the jump, we're we're establishing that the stakes are significantly getting raised, and they sound a little bit more like a kung fu film than the original Karate Kid soundtrack did. And we mm-hmm. open up on some scenes from the original Karate Kid, like Mr. Miyagi yeah. catching flies with chopsticks, um, Mr. Miyagi telling Daniel about learning karate on the beach. Yeah, uh, when they're walking in, telling Daniel about learning from his father, and in these scenes, we are seeing. Daniel learning about Okinawa. I would just say that uh, we're we're opening with a, a previously on the Karate Kid. Yes, because indeed. because I mean if if you think about the time period, this is the mid '80s. You can't guarantee that everyone has a VHS deck and has seen the original a million times at this point. So they are doing the work of kind of refreshing the viewer on who the Karate Kid is, who Mr. Miyagi, and who Daniel are. You will note that these opening flashbacks 
are mostly centered around Mr. Miyagi since this story is mostly Mr. Miyagi. It's doing a good job of like catching us up on the themes and the crumbs of information we were fed from Karate Kid 1 about Mr. Miyagi. So from, from the fact that he learned the karate from his dad to the fact that he fought in the military during World War II and got, mm-hmm. a, got a Medal of Valor. All that is part of this setup that we will take into this new story. Yeah. It's also interesting that this movie starts off concurrent with the first Karate Kid. Like, we pick up moments after Daniel wins the tournament. Well, and there's a a reason for that, right? And the Mm -hmm. reason for that is the scenes that roll after the credits are done were shot originally for the Karate Kid Part 1. They had extra stuff that they shot for Karate Kid 1 that they utilized here. And they decided that it would be better to just end Karate Kid 1 with Daniel winning the tournament. Mr. Miyagi nods in approval. And that's all you need. Like, I think that was pretty genius. Uh, but they did have this extra, like, epilogue thing. So instead of tacking that on uh, at the end of Karate Kid 1 or making it a post credit scene like you would probably do today, uh, they decided to uh, tack it on to the opening of Karate Kid 2. As they're coming out of the the Cal State Matadome, which is where they also shot the tournament, we see the announcer played by Bruce Malmuth congratulating Daniel. We see Pat Johnson, the actual um, trainer and stunt guy for the movie, who played the ref, congratulating Daniel. And then we see John Kreese coming up and, and, and looking, looming over Mr. Miyagi in an intimidating way. And then, of course... One of the one of the bystanders says, "That guy just doesn't know what karate's all about." Yeah, I love that <laughs> about Crease. And they watch him go to the parking lot and watch him bullying the Cobra Kai's. And Mr. Miyagi and Daniel also see this because they're about to ride off to meet Allie and Daniel's mom for dinner. And this is when kids come up to Daniel and and have him sign autographs. And he's now the hometown hero, which shows that it's come full circle. If, you were, if this were, had been part of the original Karate Kid, we would see that he, the transplant from New Jersey, is now the hero from Reseda. One thing that I'd like to say here is that as we see Kreese, you know, smarting off at the Cobra Kai's and trying to rebuff Mr. Miyagi, he throws in a, a, a straight on an ethnic slur. And while we've seen other people be racist towards Mr. Miyagi, they implied that Kreese had some bone to pick perhaps because of the Vietnam War, that he was maybe an agro special forces guy. But this is the first time that we've seen him straight up be verbally bigoted towards Mr. Miyagi. And if this had come in The Karate Kid, the original, it would have been like, yes, confirmation, this guy is a true bad dude. Uh, As it's placed in The Karate Kid Part 2, it just gives justification for Mr. Miyagi to go in for um, and potentially hurt him. It's a test for the viewer to see whether Mr. Miyagi is truly as nonviolent as he purports to be. But as they're walking to the car, they see Kreese with the Cobra Kai's yelling at Johnny Lawrence. And Johnny's there in his red Cobra Kai jacket. Um, Kreese breaks his trophy, throws it off into the, into the underbrush, um, and then starts roughing Johnny up. And we see Billy Zobka's face turn an impressive shade of tomato red here as the other Cobra Kai's um, try to pull Kreese off Johnny to no avail. And Mr. Miyagi goes over, and this scene, which was originally shot for the first movie, winds up providing quite a bit of setup for the second movie that they that they spin a plot out of to a certain mm-hmm. extent, um, because it's showing how the politics of male honor uh, can become toxic in this environment with Kreese bullying his students, and Mr. Miyagi just isn't here for it. Right? Look at that guy. 
I wanted to take a minute while Chris is getting uh, his comeuppance. It's I just want to say how interesting it is. What a long shadow Chris and Martin Cove, you know, have cast over this franchise. I mean, I think the idea originally is that like he's the anti Miyagi, which is certainly true. For the amount of screen time he gets, everybody is always concerned with Kreese as, as like this figure in the background and not to start talking about Karate Kid 3 before it's time. But again, like he's in that movie as well, but even but more of a support capacity than you would think for someone who is so you know critical to this franchise. Yeah, I mean, he's become critical. Uh, especially with Cobra Kai now being a show. Mm-hmm. But but the thing about this scene with Kreese is that he's always the counterpoint to Mr. Miyagi. Even though he's important to the show, he has he's nothing without Mr. Miyagi as the as the guiding light to how you really should be. Right? So mm-hmm. the final scene of this is that Mr. Miyagi throws him off Johnny Lawrence and says, you know, leave him alone. You're you this is the way you are. If a man faces you, he's the enemy and the enemy deserves no mercy. Yeah. And then he shows, and then he roughs up Crease, lets Crease sit there and stew as it looks like Mr. Miyagi can drop him and hit him in the face and potentially kill him, but instead he honks his nose, mm-hmm. right? So Mr. Miyagi is showing mercy to Crease, but doing it in such a way that humiliates this toxic honor politics that he has. So Mr. Miyagi's weird Yoda-like sense of humor persists. Force not to make one great. <laughs> as does his commitment to showing strength but not being violent. That performs a shift into the new scenes where it changes from Daniel being the center of the story to Mr. Miyagi being the center of the story, right? Mr. Miyagi's ethics of this is what we're going to explore mm-hmm. as the movie goes on. And, and then we shift to Mr. Miyagi in real time in the movie looking to catch a fly with a chopstick and he finally does. So in that moment, like, we can see that he's going to be capable of anything. Cut to six months later, and we're finally getting to new scenes created for the movie. I mean, we're like 10 minutes into the into Karate Kid Part right. 2 at this point and getting our first original scenes. Uh, cut to six months later, Miyagi's still trying to catch that fly with him, Chopsticks. Uh, Daniel rolls up in his lovely convertible, although he has banged up the front front right fender he blames Allie. he's also wearing he throws a- Allie under the bus for that he, even if she had uh, you know only daniel knows for sure he could have easily just said yeah i messed up the car but instead he's mad at Allie. not cool well, daniel not a he's good look. mad at Allie. i have some issues with how this played out and this was one reason why i didn't like the movie when i saw it in the theater and a lot of people don't like this movie i think is because elizabeth shu was pivotal to the Karate Kid mm-hmm. in its first installment, and then she's written off here because she chose not to come back. They asked her to come back, and she chose not to. Mm-hmm. But they write her off in such a way that seems out of character, right? She has, according to Daniel at least, told him on prom night that she's in love with some college football player, or yeah, um, I think it's college, maybe it's pro. And then, and then, according to Daniel, then wrecks his 1948 Ford convertible, which Mr. Miyagi then has to repair. And incidentally, as Daniel's ranting about this. He's number one, wearing this outfit that looks less like an 80s prom suit and more like a 70s leisure suit with a ruffled tux front. Mm -hmm. And number two, he's drinking out of a carton of maybe chocolate milk, which is a little product placement gag and a reference back to him not wanting to drink the Minute Maid in the Karate Kid Part 1. Also, six months later, if the karate tournament took place 
pretty much immediately before summer break, and we're going, and we're to assume this is exactly six months later. This is in the middle of summer. What's Daniel doing at a prom in the middle of summer? Yeah, no, I think what you mean to say is the the, the tournament took place before Christmas break, and then like now, just before Christmas. Break. Yeah, so I don't know. California's weird, right? They have men in chicken suits. Mm-hmm. They have very fancy Halloween dances, and they have prom almost in midsummer. Prom is almost in midsummer. Yeah, so you know Daniel's really riled about this and very angry. Mr. Miyagi doesn't even take a moment to celebrate his chopstick victory. Instead, out in the back on the dojo, Mr. Miyagi's building a, a an add-on building. Daniel is ranting about also also ranting about the fact that his mom is moving to Fresno. She got a new job there, so Daniel's going to have to go with her to Fresno. Mr. Miyagi pauses in the middle of this to show Daniel how to breathe, right? This is the first new Miyagi lesson. That's true. That we're getting is that Daniel's learning to breathe. Yeah, we're kind of getting resynced with the whole Daniel Miyagi dynamic here. Now that we've established that Allie's not coming back, it's it's back to good old Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And Miyagi is being very kind and fatherly and guiding Daniel, and Daniel is returning uh, the kindness by getting Miyagi's medals framed and that sort of thing. Yeah, so Mr. Miyagi is is coming out to see how Daniel's doing. Meanwhile, Daniel snuck into the house and is putting Mr. Miyagi's Medal of Valor into a rosewood frame to give him. And when Mr. Miyagi's like, where are you? And, and Daniel's like, what are we building this for? And Mr. Miyagi's all building it for a refugee from Fresno. And at that point, he he realizes, Daniel realizes that Mr. Miyagi is going to let him stay at his house mm-hmm. uh, for the summer after his mom moves to Fresno. Um, so, yeah, Daniel's super excited about all this. I'm not sure why Daniel wants to stay in Reseda when he's about to start. Well, I guess he's about to start his senior year, right? Um, anyway, he gives Mr. Miyagi the rosewood frame and says, here it is. And Mr. Miyagi is grateful for it, but it just doesn't understand why why it's important oh well miyagi has a great line here he points at daniel's heart and says this say you brave and at the medal and says this say you're lucky and then uh they're interrupted when a tim conway style mailman played by will hunt shows up oh uh, uh mr Myagi live here uh to deliver some bad news um turns out mr miyagi's father is gravely ill and uh and we're gonna have to go to okinawa i think Daniel didn't even realize that Mr. Miyagi's father is alive, but no, indeed, he's very ill, and Mr. Miyagi's going to have to go see him. Interestingly enough, he's going to have to get a passport, because I guess Miyagi's been here long enough that he hasn't needed a passport in a while, regardless. Forever. I mean, he's naturalized, but... Yeah, yeah. so so he apparently was able to buy plane tickets that day, and he's down at the passport agency trying to get a expedited passport, which from personal experience, I understand his pain. Uh, <laughs> that is, I'm sure pre 9-11, it was probably a lot easier, but still, uh, that's going to that's gonna run into some money for Mr. Miyagi, I think. So, well, but, but this is great because Daniel, I, I presume the deal is that Daniel's driving him around to go to all these places and, and he drives him, he goes with him to the passport office and they're standing there and Daniel's like, why did you leave Okinawa in the first place? And Mr. Miyagi's like, I had to go. Like, I fell in love with someone who was promised to somebody else. And, mm-hmm. and Daniel's like, whoa. Because as you know, what Daniel knows of Mr. Miyagi's love life is that he was married and then his wife died in childbirth and they lost the baby too. And so this is like, Oh my gosh, Mr. Miyagi had another love too. Um, and Mr. Miyagi says, yeah, she was betrothed to marry my best friend. And then they cut to Daniel looking at the actual pictures of Sato, Mr. Miyagi's best friend, and UK, the, the, the girlfriend he left behind. And Mr. Miyagi is explaining how it was 
when he tried to make a stand to marry her. This is all delivered in an exposition scene uh, a little later that evening. It's a kind of an info dump a little bit. Like there, he explained, you know, in Karate Kid 1, we learn all about his wife that he had during the war. But in this movie, we get even more information. We learn why he bounced from Okinawa in the first place. And that all ties into Miyagi's general philosophy. So it does feel more organic. The The good news is that Machio and Marita are really killing it in this scene. Like, I mean, there's not a lot to this scene. It's Miyagi packing while he basically tells Daniel all the backstory he'll need <laughs> for later in the movie. They're really giving it all they've got with a lot of pathos and a lot of investment in their characters here. We learned that Sato challenged Mr. Miyagi to a fight to save his honor, despite the fact that they're best friends. Mm -hmm. Because honor, as Mr. Miyagi explains, is very serious. Instead of fighting Sato, his best friend, he left because he didn't want to destroy his friend's honor. He didn't want to fight and lose his own honor or die because that's the wages of a fight. Daniel's like, well, surely after 45 years, he'll be over it. And Mr. Miyagi's like, In Okinawa, Anna have no time limit. Yes. So this is a dangerous situation for Mr. Miyagi. This is where we begin to understand why the dramatic music was happening. Yeah. And Daniel is, I think, going to resolve to go with Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi says to Daniel after explaining all this really heavy stuff that he's sorry for Daniel's issues with Allie. And Daniel's like, oh, no problem. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Forgot <laughs> so, about that, yeah. So Daniel heads off you know, and then turns around and Daniel and Miyagi style and, and looks at Mr. Miyagi going through his things. Daniel's got a little, the fish out of water feeling as Daniel's understanding that there's much more to Mr. Miyagi than he realized yet again. And then we see Mr. Miyagi getting ready to go to the airport and Daniel had planned on meeting him, but hasn't come. So Mr. Miyagi is looking for Daniel, but doesn't see him on the horizon and gets in the taxi to go to the airport. As a sequel, this is very interesting because I feel like if you write something like a movie or a short story or or a book or whatever it is, by the time you're done, I feel like you know your character's voices so well and you might have enough extra material, kind of like with this movie and in, in the prologue. All of this feels like a natural extension of Karate Kid 1. Yeah. Anyway, at the airport, Miyagi is just about to board the plane. He's on the jetway. When Daniel comes running up, it looks like Daniel is able to get a last-minute plane ticket, too. Unfortunately, in 1980s money, that means he probably blew his entire college tuition, which Mr. Miyagi is naturally very concerned about. But Daniel just says that, hey, no problem. I'll just uh, make it up uh, over the summer or I'll just work extra hours to uh, or I'll go to college a little bit later. Daniel's like, I'm going to study Okinawan history and culture up close. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi's like, you you do? And Daniel's even been reading a book yeah. about Okinawan history. Ever since he saw Mr. Miyagi, he went and got this book and he's been reading. And you could tell that this is very touching. And Mr. Miyagi has decided to agree to allow Daniel to come, which is good because I think in those days, plane tickets were non-refundable as, as much as they are now. So True. he would have been out the money or in difficulties no matter what. Well, now if I'm backfilling the motivation, I'm thinking maybe Miyagi knew that and he was just giving Daniel a hard time. But, uh, but yeah, Daniel's really uh, invested in Okinawa. He's got a little library book that he checked out to help him along. Hopefully that will come in handy over this next couple of weeks of adventure. Lucky Daniel, he gets to go to Okinawa with Mr. Miyagi, the best possible guide you could get exactly. for something like that. 
Exactly. I'm trying to think of the Star Wars analogy for this. Like, is it that Luke goes with Yoda back to his home world to settle a score? Basically. Yeah, this is like, what if Obi-Wan needed to go back to the insect planet? And, like, settle some scores so, like, he'll take, like, Luke or Anakin or somebody with him. So, yeah, Daniel's on the plane talking to Mr. Miyagi, finding out more about the relationship between Mr. Miyagi and Sato. Yeah. And at this point, Mr. Miyagi reveals that, yeah, he's really good. They had the same teacher. Daniel's like, your father? And Mr. Miyagi's like, yeah, we made an exception in this case. Usually it's just handed down from father to son, but I had my dad make an exception. So that's how tight Mr. Miyagi and Sato were before they're falling out. Yeah, Sato is getting a lot of uh, lip service. He's getting a lot of play before we even see him. I mean, it's an interesting tact, right? It's like we can't just write a situation where they immediately hop on a plane and go to Okinawa and they're getting off the plane and they meet Sato, right? Yeah. It's like we have to have a little bit of breathing room where we're getting these exposition scenes where Miyagi is explaining is like, no, no, I had a first love and it was all very tragic. Oh yeah. By the way, um, my dad and I, we had this dojo and the Sato guy was like a brother to me, but then we had this falling out and now like, he's also a master of Miyagi-Do karate uh, except he uses it for evil. And <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, it's all very fan fiction-y. In some ways, it's more fan fiction than Cobra Kai. Oh, the other thing I want to say about the plane is that on the plane, Daniel's like, so would your dad have been the referee if you'd fought with Sato? And, and Mr. Miyagi's like, there's no referee. So, okay, these fights are serious. And then yeah. Daniel's like, so if there's no referee, how do you know who wins? And Mr. Miyagi's like, finally drives it home. The one who's dead is not the winner. Yeah, the stakes have now been significantly raised. And we're getting off the plane in Ursat's Okinawa uh, A.K.A. an airport near AKA Los Angeles. A Los Angeles County Airport and dressed they, up with Japanese signs. They pass the ads leaving the airport. And one of the ads is a picture of Sato himself. Yes. Danny Kamakona karate chopping a giant tree trunk. And it's it's all blinged out. And he's like clearly a karate star. And Daniel's like, have you ever done that? And, and Mr. Miyagi's like, don't know. Never been attacked by a tree. You could tell that Mr. <laughs> Miyagi is not feeling this whole marketing karate as a badass sport. Yeah, Sato, in some ways, he's uh, Carl Weathers from the Rocky franchise. <laughs> yes. Sato, Sato is all about the big money karate and the flash. Uh, he's got his own posters. He's marketing Miyagi-Do karate to the masses. He this is. is years before Daniel even thought to do it. Exactly. <laughs> so they, they get off at this, at this in the Okinawan airport, which is really L.A., and as they get off, standing there to greet them. Yeah, it, and his name is Chosen. Played he, by Yuji Okamoto. Yeah, who had already been in a couple of movies at this point, like Real Genius and Better Off Dad. And you can tell right away, he like looks friendly, but there's something off about this guy. Yeah, it feels like uh, you only live twice when the thugs come to pick up James Bond. They have not kind of <laughs> tricked out like a Okinawan mafioso Elvis type. Like he's blinged out. And by Elvis type, I mean like Elvis the movie years. Like he's blinged out, he's trim. Hawaii has a big future. I, I, I want to become a part of it. I'm, I'm young, healthy, I'm not too stupid. He's driving with another guy in a private car wearing kind of a gangster metal. And when he shakes Daniel's hand, it looks like he's going to break his bones. So while he's friendly at first, it's more like a simpering cruelty that he's setting up to get the drop on Mr. Miyagi and Daniel. Mm-hmm. They pull into some warehouses, which was actually shot in Hawaii. We're now actually in Hawaii proper. I wanted to point out that when they're in the cab, 
the song Fascination plays again. Yes. And that also played during the dance scene at the country club in the original Karate Kid. And the reason this song keeps cropping up in these movies is because it was originally made popular in the 50s by Jane Morgan, the woman to whom Jerry Weintraub was married. So, of course, the producer of this film would be like, hey, put my wife's <laughs> the song my wife made famous in your film. Yeah, so they're here at this warehouse. And here, dressed up like a true gangster, is Danny Kamakona as Sato. Miyagi. 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 I wait long time for this. You see your father. Then you see me. Continuing in the Grand James Bond tradition, Sato has some abandoned warehouses out by the docks. And he he uh, diverts Daniel and Miyagi down to his turf so that he can threaten them the most effectively he can. This is a rough scene. It hurts me every time I watch it because so when Sato steps out of this office, Mr. Miyagi is so excited to see him. He's like, Sato! And Sato's like, you know, so coward, you've returned. And Mr. Miyagi's like, I'm here to settle affairs with my father. And, and Sato's like, and with me. And it's so bizarre to see them speaking in English the whole way. Like, it makes sense to a certain degree because the area had been so taken over, you know, by U.S. military presence. And Mr. Miyagi had been in the United States for a long time. And Daniel doesn't speak Japanese, right? But still, like, there's no TARDIS translating this. They're just choosing all to speak English. I think you can headcanon it that they're probably all speaking Japanese and it's just the magic of the movie that's translating it because Daniel does look com- roundly confused no matter what is going on in this no, scene. No, it's not accurate because later they're, they all some characters in, in Mr. Miyagi's village do speak Japanese. Okay, well then in that case, Sato definitely wants to make sure that everyone involved, including Daniel, knows the stakes and the threats involved. Sato won't take no for an answer. He's still hell-bent on fighting Mr. Miyagi. And then they drive off, having dumped the luggage in Daniel's Okinawa book on the ground. And Daniel and Mr. Miyagi walk off to find a real cab. Yeah, Daniel might get a fine if he loses that book in Okinawa. That that would be no bueno. That would not be good. We're definitely getting into the deep, deep post-war bits of Japan here, where it turns out Mr. Miyagi's village has been almost completely subsumed by this army base that's yeah. that's practically next door. In fact, throughout the movie, we're going to see some helicopters like flying by in the background in completely unrelated scenes. Like it's just a reminder that hey. That military base is here. Well, that act that one of the helicopters in this scene actually contains uh, George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush when he was vice president. They were in Hawaii and stopped by to visit because Jerry Weintraub was their friend. Cool. So that's a little Easter egg. I'm not sure which which of the helicopter scenes that is. But uh, as they're driving in, this is this was shot on Oahu in Hawaii uh, in Kahalu'u on the windward side of the island, and and they go around this little lagoon. And as the ca- the cab goes around this little lagoon towards what's left of Mr. Miyagi's village, Mr. Miyagi's explaining about where he learned to fish and that they used to fish here. And he also says that Sato's father owned a company, right? And that they Miyagi gives another quick info dump on the. He gives a couple. I, I can't remember which parts are in which scene, but he basically fills Daniel in that Sato's family ran the fishing company. Then when they brought in fishing boats, it drove all the small fishermen out of business. And then as a last ditch effort to like save the town's economy, they all turned to farming. 
but Sato still like owns all the land, so he just leases the village to the villagers to farm it. Yeah, post-war privatization has not gone well for Cer- the denizens of Mr. Miyagi's village. Certainly not. They and 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 Sato is complicit in that. So mm-hmm. they pull up to Mr. Miyagi's house, and there they are greeted by Kumiko, played by Tamlin Tamita, and yes. I believe her film debut. She was cast by Carol Jones, the great casting agent who also found Ralph Macchio and Marita for the first movie. Kumiko is the niece of Yukie, Mr. Miyagi's former girlfriend. Yeah. And so yeah. she's there to help out. Yeah. Kumiko's great. Tamlin Tamita is great. And we'll get more on her in a little bit. Once Miyagi gets to the village, we get a heartbreaking reunion uh, where he finally sees his father. Being cared for by Yukie, his former girlfriend. Being nursed by Yuki, uh, played by Nobu McCarthy, who's also had a very long storied career. I believe her one of her earliest roles was opposite Jerry Lewis in The Geisha Boy. That's right. Yeah. She and was cast- if you check her IMDb, it is a laundry list. It's really a treat. She was cast for this film also by Kara Jones, but she and Pat Morita had worked together before as a couple or as an or as a potential couple um, on an episode of Happy Days when Arnold decides to marry his pen pal, she plays Momo, the would-be bride. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. So so they actually do get married in an alternate timeline, basically. Exactly. Like, yeah, Happy Days has just become canonical Karate Kid. Additionally, the name Yukie was chosen here because that is the name of Pat Morita's then wife. I think Yukie might have also been the working name of his first wife just to the cast and crew in the first movie, but we never see that written. Anyway, so Mr. Miyagi comes in and is reunited with, with Yuki and his and his dad. Daniel and Kamiko are kind of hanging back for this. So the practicality of it is that Kamiko can kind of give Daniel the translation of what's going on. And his dad wakes up and says, What did he say? If I am dreaming, let me never awake. If I am awake, let me never sleep. Once again, Marita's absolutely excellent acting chops and Nobu McCarthy's excellent acting chops. Just everybody does such a good job of driving home the gravity of this situation and how it's way harder than anything you could imagine. You know, Nobu McCarthy is really nailing it. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't get a lot of scenes where she's where she's happy. <laughs> no. Like in that opening scene, it is just heartbreaking because, you know, she's super sad when... Miyagi asks her why she never wrote. She said that she never got the courage to write him and that she never married. She was waiting for him. Fortunately, the next day, it's beautiful out. The skies are blue. The helicopters are flitting by in the background. And Yuki is perked up quite a bit. And she's very happy to see Daniel. I think she's very happy that Mr. Miyagi has an Earthsot's son. son. They're also going to links to show her working to make sure her English is correct. So at least here there's a little bit more of a reality effect about that. We also need to mention that one of the things that she told Mr. Miyagi when they reunited the night before was, How you know where to find me? I've known for many years. Why you never write? Out of respect for your silence. I never marry. So that's another reason why it's crushing, right? Her heart was broken and she refused Sato, which Mr. Miyagi didn't expect, right? Because Mr. Miyagi said, you know, Sato's a Buddhist. He was a a big landowner. Like that was going to be the better life for her. And she forewent it because she was in love with Mr. Miyagi. After meeting Daniel again the next morning, she sends Daniel to the dojo, the family dojo. Yes, we get the Miyagi family dojo, which is probably one of the best sets in this movie. Mr. Miyagi's doing his morning exercises there. 
the Miyagi Dojo is amazing. The whole village is amazing. I, you know, you mentioned that they built it on the the far side of the of the island, but it's very impressive because they basically built the an entire small village. Now, most of it are just false fronts, but certain things like the Miyagi Dojo, of course, and uh, you know Miyagi's house and maybe the cannery are like full complete buildings, complete sets. Yeah. Uh, so you know, all this is shot. On location in Hawaii, come Okinawa, and it all looks amazing for it. It's made all the better for having been shot by the same DP who did the Karate Kid, right, James? We think it's Crab, C-R-A-B-E. Yes, James Crab is what I'm going to go with. Um, but yeah, no, so so some of these scenes, well, they don't do as many mono scenes, which I really like. Just one scene shot the same without, you know, one camera. Uh, it's still beautifully lit, beautifully framed. And as Mr. Miyagi goes around the dojo, shows Daniel the the rules of Miyagi-Do karate on scrolls, shows him pictures of the ancestors who brought karate over. 400 um, years of Miyagi-Do. Yeah, and there's some weapons on the wall, but but the main thing he shows Daniel, which he says is the secret of Miyagi-Do karate, is a drum. A ceremonial drum. Yes. Yeah, a, a drum with two beads that hit when you turn it. Yeah. And so he's like, this is the secret. And Daniel's like, what is this? And Mr. Miyagi, being true to Mr. Miyagi's nature, having said something cryptic, he walks off and leaves Daniel with it. Yeah, Miyagi gives the the info dump on the two rules of Miyagi-Do, which is... Rule number one, karate for defense only. And second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the rule two is C rule number one. Precisely. Um, so they go on a little walkabout through the village and see everyone still working, having transitioned to this subsistence farming economy. Oh, yeah. Um, this is where Daniel gets the info dump on the village economy. Um, we get to see uh, one of <laughs> Miyagi's old pal is played by Sonny Trinidad who is a Marvel Comics artist for many, many years. If you recognize Sonny Trinidad, that's because he was in a few other movies, among them Ace Ventura. Alrighty then. He did not actually do the uh, licensed Karate Kid comics. That would have been too meta, but uh, but that was, a, that was a fun thing I learned. Sonny Trinidad's character's name is Ichiro. Mr. Miyagi's like, I remember him from when I was growing up in the village. While they're out, they also see Kumiko, who appears to be like a kindergarten teacher, showing the kids how to dance. Mm-hmm. They're preparing for the big bone dance, the bone festival, which I'll talk about later, a festival to celebrate the ancestors. And so the village is in preparation as well as going about their everyday activities. And Mr. Miyagi ruminates a bit on all the people who died in the war and all the ways in which the war changed Okinawa, like 150,000 people. Uh, Okinawans and Japanese died and he's like and he talks about the stupidity of war and having just said that then here comes a R- gangster rounding the car. corner from the military base exactly a gangster car rolls up with Sato Miyagi 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 you forget you betray me then you die as you have lived a coward in his gangster suit complete with very silken pocket square and dark glasses. And Chosen, again, with his with his half-button shirt and metal. Chosen and Sato have shown up to threaten our protagonists once again. Sato is like the dark side of post-imperial Japan. Like, he's sold out to capitalism and industry. So, you know, there's this deeper social explanation. For sure. Yeah, for the dynamics between Sato and Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. He's taking off his glasses and challenging Mr. Miyagi to a fight because he's seen his father. That business is done, according to Sato. They're going to go at it. 
Yeah, then, Sato's ready to go right now. Yeah, and he's like, he's drawing his punch, but that as he's doing so, here comes Yukie because they need to go in. Mr. Miyagi's father is act- asking for both Mr. Miyagi and Sato. Yeah. Boy, they play this so well. Like, you can see that they've known each other forever, these characters. And in fact, these actors have all known each other forever in their That's real lives because yeah. they're all friends. Yeah. Um, and Pat Morita had even recommended Danny Kamakona for this role. And apparently Danny Kamakona was a really sweet guy. So to see him play Sato is like cognitive dissonance there. But they run to Mr. Miyagi's house and there they find that Mr. Miyagi's father is dying. And he puts, by the way, I want to say he's played by Charlie Tanamoto, who was Hawaiian or born on Hawaii. And this is the only role he was in ever. He was in his 80s when they shot this. He puts the Sato and Mr. Miyagi's hands together. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Miyagi Sr.'s final act is to try and get these two to come back together as brothers. Yeah. I was like, damn, that's, yeah, that's harsh. And and their, and their eyes, it's just so amazing. And of course, again, Daniel and Kumiko are at the door watching, and Yuki is also there watching and weeping. But in that moment, right before uh, Mr. Miyagi's father dies, you see, so well played, because Danny Kamakona's face betrays this moment of like, being moved and almost love mortification at what's happened. And Mr. Miyagi's eyes are understanding like, yes, we need to reunite. And then it, but as soon as Mr. Miyagi's father dies as a defense mechanism, or I don't know what, like Sato's like, that's it. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Miyagi senior's last act is to try and get them to make up. I'm sure Mr. Miyagi would have loved that, but yeah, Sato's still not having it. Sato says out of respect for my teacher, that is Mr. Miyagi's just died dad, just deceased father. Um, I'll give you three days to mourn, but then we're going to fight. And so it's on. And so it's a great scene. If you haven't, if it's been a while, if the last time you watched this was on video or DVD, watch it again in HD because you can see like their eyes are tearing up. Like it's an intense scene. And Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi looks totally crushed when his father has died. And so then cut to everyone putting lanterns in the water of the lagoon yeah, in so, honor of Mr. Miyagi's father. Yeah, so we're having a funeral for Mr. Miyagi's father. It's really well staged and shot. This is some of the best photography in the movie for sure because we've got the low light of the candles like floating on the water. Uh, again, we're not on like a really populated side of the island, so I'm sure this is all like natural light. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it looks really authentic. It looks really beautiful. Yeah, it's it's an amazing scene. Uh, in fact, everything in this next sequence is pretty much amazing because we cut back to Mr. Miyagi reminiscing over some old photos in his apartment, and then we cut to the next morning. Well, I guess, yeah, this is the next morning. This isn't even a sunset scene. This is sunrise, I would suppose. And Mr. Miyagi is out kind of meditating uh, on the beach, uh, looking out over the sunrise, and Daniel comes up to... Uh, to kind of uh, commiserate with him, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if this is sunrise or sunset. It depends on what which side of the island this is relative to east and west. But they do this shot of Mr. Miyagi looking out at a bonsai tree on the rocky outcropping over the sea with mm-hmm. the sun low on the horizon. And this is John Avildsen's favorite shot of the movie because then it cuts to the scene between Mr. Miyagi and Daniel where Daniel comes out to talk to him. Uh, and Pat Morita says nothing. His, he looks shattered. His eyes are full of tears that aren't falling. What an actor. And, uh, and I mean, really? No, it's great. And Ralph Macchio 
is, uh, you know, as Daniel is saying, because Daniel has also lost his father, right? And he's like, you know, when my father died, I felt really bad. Like maybe I hadn't said enough n- nice things to him or done enough for him. But then one day I realized I did the best thing I could, which is that I, I held his hand and I told him I loved him. I was there with him. As he's talking, uh, it's just uh, <laughs> like Mr. Miyagi's lip is trembling. This, the tears are going to fall. And then Daniel puts his arm around him. And it, it's just unbelievable. And then they, they show them again from behind looking out over the cloudy twilight horizon with the tree, with the tree that could be the Miyagi-Do emblem tree um, there uh, yeah. in view. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we get this great uh, pullback just showing the entire vista at sunset. It's really amazing. It's a beautiful scene between two actors. And also it's the second time they did that. Because in an interview with LA Weekly, John Avildsen explained that they had to do it twice the first time the lighting, the, the weather wasn't good. Mm. And so <laughs> those guys had already done that once. Yeah, after that scene, they cut to the dojo and show the view the, with the sort of silhouette of Daniel and Mr. Miyagi training. Yeah, cut to the next morning. It's a beautiful day in the dojo. Yeah. Uh, what a beautiful day for some training. Would you be my <laughs> sensei? Could you be my sensei? Won't you be my sensei? Yeah, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my sensei? So the Mr. Rogers of Japan, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel are out cruising uh, the village again. Yeah. As, as you're often want to do when you're on a kind of a work vacation. As they walk, Daniel says, Sato wants to kill you. So why is he giving you these three days to mourn? And Mr. Miyagi's like, my father was his teacher in his heart. Sato knows that that it's wrong to fight. And Daniel's mm-hmm. like, but then why is he doing it? And Mr. Miyagi says, <laughs> Sometime what heart no head forget. He's like, inside his heart, Sato still knows, which I thought was a great, insightful piece of character work This there. is so interesting to think about because our last episode of this podcast was talking about episode five of Cobra Kai, Counterbalance. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, in that episode, Daniel, the grown-up Daniel, goes to vi- visit Mr. Miyagi's grave and says, like, you seem to have all the answers when you were my age, but was it the same for you? And we see that Mr. Miyagi is much more assured than Daniel. He has much more assurance than, than Daniel will come to have at different points. But one of the reasons why Mr. Miyagi has that assurance is because of his relationship with Daniel, because of their karate together, because of the relationship they've built. Mr. Miyagi gains support from Daniel when he's hurting. And so he doesn't have all the answers in his own way, but his relationship with Daniel is, is what helps him through. And I think that's something that they show really well in Cobra Kai and Counterbalance, which is that Daniel realizes that getting back to karate and having those relationships is a meaningful way to deal with your life. This is day one of the lead up to the big confrontation with Sato. And uh, the boys decide to go do some training out at the old cannery. It's definitely an odd bit of training because we're still talking about the drum technique, which is the thing that that the Miyagis have learned from the ceremonial drum. It's some sort of like dodging, punching action. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe. It's a little like the twist, uh, but unlike Chubby Checker's version, this one is deadly. It is. Um, <laughs> It'll, this one will kill you. Yeah. Miyagi relates some hijinks that he got into when he worked at the cannery uh, where some falling tackle 
were, were perched in such a way that they would swing down and impale you if they hit you wrong, which he then demonstrates to Daniel. Miyagi's like, I could use the technique to dodge out of the way. Daniel wants to also replicate this, but uh, he's not so lucky, and he enters the splash zone and uh, gets dunked. But Daniel's like, is there a counterpunch? And Mr. Miyagi, again, offers a cryptic piece of advice to ask drum and then walks away. Mm. Also, an interesting point, the cannery was the place where all the kids went to make out back in the day. Indeed. It was the place where Mr. Miyagi and UK had their first date. Over a load of fresh mackerel, he says. The cannery gets a lot of action, for sure. <laughs> although although now it's been it's it's closed down, right? It's the old cannery because no one works with the fish industry anymore. That's true, and yet it still gets a lot of action. Miyagi and Daniel are there. Kumiko and Daniel will be there later. As they're walking back from the cannery to the house, they see Shozen uh, doing scales because... Of course, the the Sato syndicate controls uh, the sale of all this subsistence-level agriculture. They sell all their surplus through Sato's family. Yes. And there's an adorable collision as Daniel runs out uh, to help. Or there's an adorable scene where Ishiro, again played by Sunny Trinidad, mm-hmm. um, trips or hits a bump and almost loses all the carrots he's going to the scales to sell. And Daniel helps him collect that and then helps roll the wheelbarrow with the carrots to where Shozen is doing the scale. Shozen is cheating. He's got some fake weights installed, and that's allowing him to rip off the villagers for the cost of their wares. Daniel catches this immediately and reveals Shozen's trickery, which then causes a, a small ruckus, a minor riot, as the uh, villagers want to know what the hell is going on, and rightly so. Now it's nighttime ha- in the village. As... as, as- Daniel witnesses the scales proven to be weighted and Chosen gets angry at the exposure of his deceit, uh, losing his authority in the village. Then we cut to nighttime in the village where Mr. Miyagi and Yuki are kind of whispering sweet nothings to each other. Talking about, do you remember our song? Which, by the way... It was the same song that he was singing for his late wife in the original Karate Kid. So apparently Mm -hmm. Mr. Miyagi just has one song. I mean, I think there's precedent for that. Sometimes you'll recycle a song if it it means that much to you. I mean, that is actual, that's an actual song that Pat Morita knows. Yeah, that's right. That's a song he knew himself. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's a little bit justified. Like if it's his song that he's bringing to all these relationships, I guess that I guess that's fair. Yeah, I guess so. I mean... It is a sweet scene, though. It is a sweet scene. Again, everything with Yuki is both life-affirming and heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, I mean, like, they're talking about their relationship, and and he asks if his father ever talked about him, and you know, she said, yeah, he said he loved you very much. It's obvious that Mr. Miyagi's father didn't begrudge him his departure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everyone still cared for Mr. Miyagi, Except, you know, Sato was angry, but everyone still felt for him all the feelings that they had before. Then they show Daniel has the the ceremonial drum and is making it go back and forth, making the beads go back and forth by rubbing the drum um, to make it rotate. And he's trying to swing his arms and hips in a karate move that imitates that because he's gleaned from Mr. Miyagi that the drum technique is an imitation of that drum. And Kumiko begins to say... (laughs) Looks like a bone dance. Well, then I must be doing something wrong. Oh, no, no, doing something right. She's a dancer, right? Dancing is her passion. So she's showing him how, how the, what those two things have in common. 
and demonstrates the bone dance. John Avildsen said that the heart of Daniel's arc in this film is, you know, even though it's Mr. Miyagi's story primarily, the arc for Daniel in this movie is his relationship with Kumiko. Sort of having this relationship of mutuality because she's, as Avildsen said, the best girlfriend Daniel ever had. And this is a really, really charming scene. And I so want to see Tamlin Tamita come to have an appearance on Cobra Kai just watching her with Ralph Macchio here. And all the school children are watching as they're, as they're practicing the dance. So, again, because it's a Robert Mark Kamen, John Avildsen collaboration, we can see that everything that Daniel is learning from the culture organically, whether it's dancing, working, is the true path, the noble path to learning how to fight. Um, that is true, yeah. Tamla Tamita as Kamiko is doing a really great job. She's got a lot of range as an actress. Unfortunately, at this moment is when uh, Chosen decides to show up and uh, go full Biff Tannen on Daniel, and she throws a tomato at him, which causes him to take off his shirt. He he almost he kicks Daniel's ass, but he beats he beats Daniel up. He like sucker punches him in the gut, and mm-hmm. with his lackeys helping to intimidate, knocks Daniel to the ground, and that's yeah. why she throws this tomato at him. It's a pretty intense scene, made more so by. The beauty of the shots as they're walking away. They show Daniel mm-hmm. and Kumiko walking back towards the house. And and you know, as they're walking away, they show the older people of the village paying respects to the Shinto shrine. Just, you know, remember that that Sato is a Buddhist. Um, he controls all the land, but then the the older people of the village still remember the Shinto ways and are at the Shinto shrine. Mm-hmm. Um it's not to say that those are mutually exclusive faiths. It's not quite that cut and dried, but it's an illustration of the, the ways in which the people in this village are making their lives amid these complex pressures. Daniel and Kumiko, as the breeze is going, are talking about. Daniel's like, I need to go talk to that guy and resolve this. And Kumiko's like, it's not, you can't. Like, that's not how this works. Yeah, It exactly. doesn't work that way here. And so yeah. Daniel is perhaps gaining an appreciation for why Mr. Miyagi is so committed to nonviolence. They work their way back to uh, their Airbnb where... <laughs> Yuki and um It's not Airbnb, it's Mr. Miyagi's house. Oh, you're right. It's probably a little early for that. But yes, yeah, so they're back at the Miyagi mansion where Yuki is doing tea ceremony with Mr. Miyagi. That's right. Yuki and Mr. Miyagi are are drinking the tea. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And and Kumiko says It means that they are falling in love again. Which I guess I gotta be careful Ooh. if I if I agree to a tea ceremony in Japan. Anyway, Mr. Miyagi is bonding with with Yuki, and then they cut to Mr. Miyagi. Of course, being Mr. Miyagi, he's repairing what looks like an old refrigerator. Yes, he's he's showing love the way he shows love by tinkering and fixing As weird Mr. appliances. Roger says, there are many ways to say I love you, and, and Mr. Miyagi's love language is repairing a fridge for Yuki. Exactly. And, and he asked Daniel if Daniel wants to go with him into town to get it apart, and Daniel's like, actually, I told Kumiko that I'd go with her. So Mr. Miyagi sends him on his way with UK also looking on that obviously UK and Mr. Miyagi are having a good time. Yes, they are having a good time. They are. The next morning when we see them. What a, what, a, what is the song on Cobra Kai? Exactly. Kamiko has a beat up old convertible and she decides to show Daniel the sights, which means heading out to the historic castle matte painting. That's true. This is also where the Peter Cetera kicks in. Yeah, but but they're they're looking at the castle map painting, which is which is superimposed over some actual ex- actually existing Rocky Shoals, 
Kumiko tells Daniel that this is the historical palace of Shohashi, the Peace King. And of course it is controlled by Sato, we're gonna learn. But as they're flirting, they run across the rocky outcropping towards the old ruins and the Satara swells up. It's a pretty song, but like, who's the knight? Who's the person who needs rescuing? What's going on? Look, it's just a cheesy 80s love ballad. Like, it's just something Peter Satara had sitting on his shelf waiting for the right movie to come along and be like, hey, we need a love ballad. He's like, oh, I'm here. Let me just dust this old thing off. Uh, (laughs) uh, But no, yeah, Kumiko gives Daniel the info dump that uh, they would be using uh, old castle matte painting for uh, ceremonies, if not for the evil Sato. Who only, I think he only makes it available to like Westerners or something like that. Like it's, it's tightly controlled. And while they're there, you know, illegally encroaching on Sato's private property, she tells him that the custom is to make a wish. And so they make a wish together and you can tell that he's totally charmed and enamored by this. And And so they bounce to the city center, which is a redressed Columbia back lot. But uh, it's looking really good with the Japanese tile roofs and the... And all the signs are in the appropriate language. The All the price tags are in yen. Fun uh, fact, in that LA Weekly uh, interview that I mentioned with Jared Cowan, Avildsen does, does confirm that, yes, that is a storefront from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Also in this scene... Yes, we get B.D. Wong. The film debut of one Brad Wong, who all of us will then learn is B.D. Wong. Komiko-chan, come to the dance tonight. Oh, bring you friend. Uh, yes. Before his days chewing the scenery in Father the Bride or are killing it. Or in... more recently, Mr. Robot. Exactly. B.D. Wong is, is a bystander uh, who comes over and, and chats with Daniel and Kumiko. And also in this scene, Kumiko reveals that this is her wish. And Daniel's like, what? You want to sell TVs? Because they're looking in a TV uh, in, in, a, in an appliance shop. But no, it's that there's someone dancing on the TV. And that's what she... That's what her dream is, to go be a dancer. They don't have that in Okinawa, but they do have it in the United States. They also, they managed to pass by the Sato Dojo, where they scope Chosen going full Cobra Kai on uh, all the other students in the dojo. It's not lame-ass karate. It's Cobra Kai. There are a lot of GIs in this town, so we see a lot of... A lot of, you know, a mixture of people, so, but, 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 but some Johnny Lawrence looking white dudes uh, also lined up learning to get their asses kicked by Chosen so that they can become karate machines. Again, this is all, this detail is very period appropriate uh, because, you know, the thing about uh, martial arts and karate in specific is that it became a thing in the United States in the 70s and 80s because all these military people were were learning martial arts in Japan, in China, and basically importing it back to the United States and, and starting, like, dojos in the United States. So that is all very, it's very authentic. They're walking away from Sato's dojo when they see a bar, and Daniel's like, what's going on in there? I want to go in there. And, and, of course, Kimiko doesn't want to, but, you know, hey, Daniel insists... So they go in to find a bunch of GIs in plain clothes. Breaking tra- ice for money. Trying to karate chop ice to take with people betting on whether they can do it or not. As you often want to do. And having in record time Superman style change from his gi 
into a, a, like a 50s looking print gangster shirt. Uh, here comes Sato with his hair expertly spiked and his lackeys with him, I think. And he's yelling at Daniel, challenging him, saying that Daniel can't break the ice. And yeah. insisting that Daniel, you know, you know, casting aspersions on Daniel's honor and now insisting that Daniel break all six slabs of ice yeah and that's when mr miyagi and yuki show up yeah how did they know yeah exactly the gang is increasing miyagi instead of trying to talk chosen down uh miyagi doubles down he's like oh daniel's got this all my money's on daniel mr miyagi puts six hundred dollars on it to which Chosen's like, I don't have $600. But who's there? Sato. And Sato says, I'll cover you. Yeah, Sato's like, I got $600. I got $600 that your boy can't break all that ice. This has become a proxy war between Mr. Miyagi and Sato. Very much. <laughs> Daniel's insisting that he can't do it. And Mr. Miyagi's giving him all this advice to focus, breathe, etc., etc. Daniel is not, not happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much the way that Kreese was trying to win his proxy Vietnam War <laughs> by uh, having the Cobra Kai dominate the valley. Yeah, Sato is is essentially spreading his animosity and his rivalry with Miyagi to their students. So Mr. Miyagi and Daniel go line up beside the ice because all the money has been collected for the bets. And Mr. Miyagi's breathing with Daniel, having them do the exercises that we learned at the top of the film. Yuki and Kumiko are behind them praying. Yuki clutching like a part, probably, that they picked up or something. And then, boom, Daniel breaks right through the ice. Daniel does the dang thing. And he breaks all that ice. Chosen is outraged, and he doesn't want to give up the money. But Sato, as virulently angry at Miyagi as he is, he is still has some sense of honor, and he's like, all right, well, guess what? Your boy did it, so you get all the cash. But Sato looks absolutely stricken. And at this point, then, with Sato still staring off in the distance as if he cannot believe his bad fortune, Daniel's asking Mr. Miyagi, like, what are we going to do? And Mr. Miyagi's like, you get college tuition. We get Chinese food. Come. Yeah, you blew all your college money to get here, so I just earned it back for you. You're welcome. So, yeah, and also, after they count their money, they head off for Chinese food, which is the first thing I want to eat when I'm in Okinawa. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, let's go to Japan to get some of that. Well, I guess it I'm would sure be better. Delicious. Yeah. I'm sure it's delicious there. I'm sure it would be pretty great. I don't begrudge them wanting it. I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. So because because of my expectation as a would-be tourist in Okinawa. So they cut to the Miyagi do Dojo where Mr. Miyagi is carrying out hijinks with Daniel. There's a strange moment where Mr. Miyagi teases Daniel by dropping a handkerchief on the ground. And then while Daniel is distracted, miming, punching him in the... Punching him in the groin. In the Thank you. In the groin. Arr, my groin! But lo and behold, who is here? Chosen and his lackeys have arrived. Yeah. And they are here to intimidate Mr. Miyagi into fighting. This is, I think, is it day two? Of the challenge that... I, I feel like this must be, yeah, either, yeah, day two of the three-day grace period. And Sato has sent them to threaten to destroy the village's farms. Well, here's the thing. Sato's given Miyagi three days, but he's not content to wait either. So he continues to intimidate and threaten Daniel and Miyagi. With Chosen and his people digging up the farm there on the side of the road... It's clear that Mr. Miyagi is going to have to do something. So the next scene is him visiting Sato at his giant 
a waterside mansion. Yeah, so they go to visit Sato at his palatial Okinawa estate where he's working on his hand strength by just wailing on this giant uh, this giant board. That apparently, this giant piece of wood that he and Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi says, is this the one we found on the beach that time? Mm-hmm. So Sato is so attached. He's still attached. To this, that he's still using that board. Yeah. But of course, no, he insists that they're going to fight. So, yeah. oh, you know, what we learned from that scene is that Sato's still attached, that Mr. Miyagi's brave enough, willing to talk to Sato, but doesn't want to fight him, and Sato cannot be reached. That dude is aching for a fight. But, you know, who's not aching for a fight? Kamiko and Daniel, they want to cut loose in the way that a lot of Japanese teens want to cut loose. Yeah. So we're heading to the 50s-style sock hop in 80s Okinawa. Yeah, so is this just the case that everyone in Okinawa has a set of 50s cosplay clothing? Because Daniel lo- looks like, I think Kumiko is, is wearing a poodle skirt. Full it, it, poodle skirt. Yeah, I don't know if there's an actual poodle, but there's appliques, there's huge petticoats. It, it's it's below her knee, like she's got the ponytail. Yeah, it's a great look. And Daniel looks literally like he just stepped off of Back to the Future. Yeah. Like furthering, you know, our belief that, the, in fact, someone had an idea to do a crossover between the Karate Kid and Back to the Future. Again, Karate Kid may be canonical Back to the Future for all we know. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or vice versa. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. Also, further evidence that this might be a Back to the Future crossover, they dance to Earth Angel. They're having a great time at this sock hop. There's a sound-alike Bill Haley uh, and the Comets. Uh, arranged by... Arranged by Paul Schaefer. Yes, indeed. And uh, they step off the dance floor to to have a heart-to-heart for a minute. Daniel makes kind of an incorrect American assumption that... Kamiko might be arranged to be married, so he tries to get that cleared up. Well, I mean, in fairness to Daniel, some things haven't changed in Okinawa in the past 45 years, like the fact that honor is still so important to, to Sato and his minions. But he, So he also assumes that, like Yukie had been arranged to marry Sato, that Kumiko might be arranged to marry someone. That's true. Fortunately, she's not, uh, which is good, because, man, if she had been arranged to marry, like, Chosen or somebody, holy crap, that would have been... A nightmare and a half. Exactly. But Daniel also lets Kamiko know that he's not arranged to marry anyone. Uh, he's down for an extremely long distance relationship. <laughs> um, or, or alternatively, Kamiko, you can come to America. You'll have a great time. So then, boom, they're having this moment and virgin alarm. We'll have none of that, mister. What the hell was that noise? That was my virgin alarm. It's programmed to go off before you do. Here comes Chosen. Yes. Uh, Chosen, again, is constantly stalking these two. Shows up on the scene. Although it is, you know, Chosen busts in. It's a small town. I'm sure, it, you know, wherever Daniel is, uh, Chosen can track him down pretty quickly. They beat Daniel up. They try to kidnap Kamiko, but she's not having it. Uh, obviously, everybody... She fights back, man. Yeah, well, I mean, presumably most of the people in the village know at least some basic Miyagi-Do. Oh, yeah, and also, he tries to steal the money that Daniel won. That's right, he Kumiko tries to steal helps, that money. Kumiko helps get it back, so... And then they hop in their jalopy of a convertible and bounce. Back to the Miyagi Airbnb. Air Miyagi. No, no, <laughs> no, not, not that. So Daniel, now looking pensive back at the Miyagi manse, 
is getting ready to go to bed, turns on his lantern, and then outside he hears people yelling for Mr. Miyagi. Sato's hot to trot. He wants it, and he can't get enough, and he is looking to wreck Miyagi's day, even before his self-imposed grace period is up. Sato is looking for Mr. Miyagi. He's chosen as going into the dojo, picking weapons off the wall. Sato wants to fight right now, but where is Mr. Miyagi? We never find that out. I have some theories. Some some fanfic authors may have explored this already. I think Yuki knows where Mr. Miyagi is I at think, all times. I think Yuki knows where Mr. Miyagi is. And um, I think Mr. Miyagi knows where Yuki is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Daniel, in an attempt to at least protect Mr. Miyagi's property, comes downstairs to try and confront Sato and Chosen uh, and the thugs, but... Uh, but unfortunately, he's a little outclassed here, and he gets restrained right away. That gives uh, Chosen a chance to really, well, I would say stroke his mustache, but he's a really uh, clean-shaven gentleman. He's and I just, mean everywhere. He's going to just, wow. <laughs> I don't know how you know that. Anyway, he had his shirt off early. <laughs> anyway, with, that, with no wind resistance from his missing hair, uh, Chosen now is destroying... The, the Miyagi family dojo. It's a real disaster at the Miyagi dojo <laughs> as the as Shosen has Daniel dead to rights using a giant spear. The thugs are now tearing up all the uh, bonsai trees. Bonsai tree. Indeed, smashing as, those bonsai trees. Yeah, and all the paper windows and just wrecking shop. It looks like no one can save the day, but who should show up at the moment other than... Mr. Miyagi himself, who... Complete with a musical flourish, I believe. Mr. Miyagi's had it. He's like, you know, leave him alone. Western style, he's like, your problem's with me, not the boy. (laughs) So, yeah, this is basically a karate western. So now Mr. Miyagi's going to show us that he's still got what it takes. Yeah. And just like he did on Halloween night against the Cobra Kai's, he's going to wail on all of Sato's minions. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and also, Pat Morita still got what it takes, because unlike that scene with the Cobra Kai's, this is mostly Morita. Yeah, these are these are frontal shots of Pat Morita's face. Yeah. You can't miss that it's him in almost every scene. He's clearly been training, like they've been working on this. He also finally manages to wail on Chosen, which all of us have been wanting to see get his ass kicked. Oh, for sure. Um, but he gets Chosen on the ground and holds the Miyagi family spear over him and then, re- and then breaks the spear and refuses to do damage to him, but Chosen's honor is already besmirched. And Mr. Miyagi goes over to Daniel, who has finally grasped the, the gravity of the situation that, yes, they were really going to kill you, Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. Wake the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> As those idiots continue to damage parts of the Miyagi family home, Mr. Miyagi brings Daniel inside and they begin packing so that they can go back to America the next day. It's very interesting. So in the next day, Daniel lovingly looks out at Kamiko kind of just lazing on the dock by the water. He starts to walk downstairs, but he overhears Miyagi talking to Yuki. Yeah, another heartbreaking scene with Yuki. Like, all my notes just have frowny faces next to Yuki scenes. She's packing his suitcase, and, and we see something with the Miyagi family logo going in there. We see we see Pat Morita sitting there in, in suspenders, and, and she's in her kimono, and he's in suspenders in his his western dress and he's holding her arms and saying you know what can i do to ease your pain take me with you 
Yeah, which is just... Oh. Uh, You're killing me, Yuki. These, I can't believe this movie. I'm so gratified that this movie exists, even though it didn't appeal to young me in the ways that I wanted it to because I was a kid with kid expectations. Yeah. Like, I can't believe there's this movie about aging Japanese folks coming to terms with their past. Right. It's a blockbuster hit, you know, coasting on the goodwill from the Karate Kid, but it clearly had repeat viewings. Of it. That's a great point. I mean, there's a lot of talk in this year of <laughs> this year of 2019 about like diversity in film. And it's like, oh, wait, we have a blockbuster sequel to a blockbuster movie with a primarily Asian cast. Like the only even approaching white person is Ralph Macchio. And it it's almost feels like he's, you know... Don't forget that Tim Conway-esque mail carrier. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> that that's that's a million years ago now. That's right. It basically feels like he fell through, a, fell through a portal kid video style and he's landed in a Japanese period drama. Like... <laughs> I'm taking you to the flip side. From my video to my it's pretty rad. After he overhears that conversation, Daniel walks down to the docks and there he sees Kumiko scattering rice under the sea. And she said, you know, this is what people used to do when the fishermen would go away in their boats. And he said, for a good catch. And she was like, for a quick return. He says something about her dreams and, and she says, there's no school for dancing here. And he says, there is in America. So he's setting up that she could come. And she said, you think of it like America? I think you would love it. Do you think of it like me? Well, I know one part of it that already does. And he leans in for the kiss when, no, yet another virgin alarm. What do you touch? What do you touch? Yeah, exactly. That's when the bulldozers show up. And Sato in his gangster suit and Chosen in yet another gangster shirt. Miyagi. 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 No tricks tonight. They're home. They're church. Everything gone lovely silk shirt lovely silk shirt showcasing his muscles and clean shaved body standoff with mr miyagi that shows and he's evil but man he's a little piece of all right and sato says that if mr miyagi does not fight him he's gonna destroy the village itself so white hot burns his rage Mm-hmm. and again stellar acting from these people pat marita is just beside himself distraught because his personal honor is broken mr miyagi's Valve to nonviolence is broken. Mr. Miyagi says, you win, but on one condition, that Sato gives over the title to the village. Miyagi has reached his breaking point, and he feels he has to fight, whereas Daniel is on the other side of this uh, equation. He's like, uh, Mr. Miyagi, we're from America. We could just bounce anytime we want to. It's interesting because at this moment, finally, Mr. Miyagi will pour salt in the wound of Sato's wounded honor. Mm-hmm. And says, you know, the village is a small price to pay for your honor. They are so good at this. I am scared of their exchange because Miyagi looks broken and enraged. And Sato is excited because it's on. Mm-hmm. Daniel's back at the Miyagi family home. Mr. Miyagi hands Daniel a scroll and says that this is my last will and testament. Yuki gets this house and you get the house and pick up back home. Daniel is not pleased that this is happening. This is the thing that Miyagi cares about more than anything else is is the village and, and the history and Yuki and Kamiko and the dojo and everything. Yeah, once again, John Avildsen proves himself to be a worthy successor to Frank Capra, the, the health of the collective. 
will be preserved. And Mr. Miyagi is going into the dojo to make offerings to the spirits of the ancestors. And Daniel is just completely flabbergasted by this turn of events. Uh, Yeah, Daniel decides to go get some air, but it's a small village, so he doesn't have far to go um, before he sees uh, Sato also at the shrine. And on his tour of memory lane, he, <laughs> he heads over to the cannery where he sees Kamiko has set up her own tea ceremony. Yeah, I think maybe they have this arranged in advance because Kumiko is, is fully decked out in her kimono. Yeah, it's not something you do on the spur of the moment for sure. No, she has the full tea ceremony arrayed. Avilton has said that while they didn't know all the ins and outs of the tea ceremony, they had people on hand who did and they paid attention. And so they did the best they could to make this as, as authentic as possible such as whatever authenticity means in this context, so what people in Okinawa might have actually done, they engage in this very romantic and very sweet tea ceremony where Daniel's trying to be glib, typical Daniel, being clever, and Kumiko is solemn but is calm about this, and Daniel's like, I'm, I'm sorry, like super awkward, super cute, and then they begin. Well, I think what Avildsen means is they hired a technical supervisor to learn about or to instruct about Japanese culture and Japanese ceremonies. And that technical advisor basically taught Tamlin Tamita to do it. Tamlin Tamita took it upon herself to study up, do the work, and it's amazing. Like, she does the Japanese dancing really well. She does the tea ceremony very authentically if you you know and and again this is her first role so she's coming out of nowhere and even though she's from southern california you would not know it it's pretty amazing i remember this to me this was my favorite part of the movie when i was a kid i mean i was intimidated by it because it all was so different from what i knew of what what tea was growing up in the lipton belt of south texas Mm -hmm. the scene which actually as a point of interest was shot both in hawaii and then again on the set of the Matadom where they shot the tournament in the la- in the original movie, like they also did these pickups on the lot of that structure in California. This sequence is made from scenes shot in two different places. They go several minutes without a line of dialogue and the Bill Conti score playing. And, uh, you know, Bill Conti's score is so different in this one than it was in The Karate Kid. In The Karate Kid, there was a lot of classical, like Western classical sounding music interspersed with some like pan flute and some flourishes suggesting martial arts. But this is full on a Japanese influenced, sounds to me like, like a martial arts film and this level of romance happening. It could run the risk of seeming orientalist. You know, Daniel could be a voyeur in this culture, but but Ralph Macchio but it never really feels that way. No, the way they the way that they've shot it, the respect that they've paid to this, the, the best that they've done, they've done their best and it's got a lot of heart and trying to be true to not only the history of this place, but also the issues shaping that place that might make people reach for their culture in certain ways. So here they are, about to kiss, having carried out the tea ceremony, Kumiko's taken down her hair, and they lean in in this beautiful image of the mountains in the background on the island. And then again, for the third time, something interrupts them. The A thunderclap, a wind so big that the bell begins ringing in the village to signal an emergency. The wind cleanly blows out all their candles, and then the bells in the village start going off, letting us know. Uh, well, Bell Girl is up there letting us know that uh, a big storm is coming. 
I'm not sure why the person chosen in this village to ring the bell is such a small girl. Maybe because it's a heavy structure, or, or the, the structure can only take so much weight? It's just basically a ladder with a big bell at the top. It could have been that she was just closest to it. Now they're all running in. So Mr. Miyagi is wearing the traditional robes that he had been wearing to make offerings. They're all running in. Yeah, half of everybody's in their kimonos because they were caught off guard. They're all running into this shelter that is intended to protect everyone. And I'm, I'm curious about this, about whether that shelter also protects against floods. You know, as an anthropologist, I'm like, how accurate is this shelter for the history of Okinawa? Is this how people dealt with storms in the past? Very likely looks like a piece built for either the war or for the military base that they've just kind of repurposed as a storm shelter. Now we see that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi and, and also Yuki and Kumiko are going to help people get in who can't make it. There's a woman struggling with a toddler to make it into the shelter and, and they're helping out, keeping an eye out for anyone else who might be left. And at that moment, the building collapses that Sato was in. I don't know if that's the shrine. Again, if that's the Shinto shrine and Sato was in there, you know, Sato was reconnecting with the local spirits. Yeah, at that moment, the it looks like the shrine that Sato was in collapses. And the only person we see there now staggering out of it is Chosen, who yes. is also in his gi, but still has his medal on. I swear to God, I almost saw a cobra on that gi. Anyway, he says that, that, he, uh, that his uncle's in there and that his uncle's dead and no. staggers towards the shelter. But we see Sato underneath a beam. You know, the wind Sato's blows. still clinging to life, yeah. and the beams from the Shinto shrine are still clinging to Sato, pinning him down. Underneath the beam, Sato is still yelling at Mr. Miyagi, presuming that Mr. Miyagi is going to try to take him down while he's trapped under the beam. And saying that now while I'm helpless, you're doing this. The whole village is going to see that you're terrible, and this is the only way you can win. Meanwhile, Mr. Miyagi raises his hand, and at this point, right... For the viewer, there's a lot of suspense because they set up that he raised his hand at like that on John Kreese outside the tournament arena. That's right. And that's also how Sato raised his hand to Miyagi earlier when Miyagi Sr. died. Exactly. And we also know that, that Miyagi's raising his hand over this beam and he's never done this before. So it's plausible that he, although we all know Mr. Miyagi would never do this, but he could be going in for Sato's face, right, to yes. kill him. But no, Mr. Miyagi is taking his chances with that beam and indeed splits it. And at that moment, Sato realizes that Miyagi really had nothing nothing against him, frees him from the beam, and they stagger off with Sato clutching his ribs. As they're going away, they pass the bell ladder, where it looks like Bell Girl is still in trouble. She's trapped up there. Daniel, being the only one with a pair of hands free, he decides to try and climb up the bell ladder and uh, help Bell Girl. But it looks pretty dire as pieces of the bell ladder are breaking away by the moment. Meanwhile, Mr. Miyagi has ushered Sato into the into the shelter and they're chosen as like, I thought you were dead. And Sato just looks over at where Daniel is trying to rescue the girl with the bell and Chosen says, I can't. I won't help him. Despite Chosen telling him to go help Daniel, Chosen, because of his commitment to honor, because of his revulsion toward Daniel is unwilling to help and thus putting Daniel and the girl at risk. Daniel and Bell Girl are certainly at risk because down to just basically a post and a bell, the ladder starts falling away and the bell catches a power line while it's tipping over and uh, Daniel has to get his belt off and like whip it away. That's why Mr. Miyagi values belts so much. Oh my god, the belt! Okinawa built me no need rope hold up pants. <laughs> 
Yes. Get yourself a real belt that you can use to keep power lines off your bell tower. Sears, five ninety nine. It's the best friend you'll ever have. It is. So Daniel helps the girl down. They've made it. And as they stagger off. On his way back, Daniel and Bell Girl are struggling through the mud when... And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. Sato, much like the Grinch, decides to run out into the storm and help Daniel fetch Bell Girl back to the shelter. Danny Kamakona smiles appreciatively at Daniel as he lifts up the girl with the bell, and, and we see that he actually is capable of smiling. He looks like a completely different person. But he's got to focus that rage somewhere. So when he does get back to this shelter, he decides to take it out on Chosen and basically tells him that you are dead to me. Indeed. So I just want to clarify, having thought I spotted a cobra on Chosen's Ski, no, it is an upraised fist. The Sato fist. You know, and I wonder, because we know that the idea of Cobra Kai is actually has historical precedent in right-wing martial arts movements in Asia and possibly Japan, I think. I wonder if the upraised fist is also an emblem of real life right wing movements in Japan. I do not know. But Chosen, having been told by Sato. Now, to you, I am dead. Runs off. Into the stormy twilight. Which to me, as a child, when I was watching this as a six-year-old, I was like, this solidifies the fact that Chosen is truly deranged. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, he runs off to become feral. Yes. In the storm. He runs off into the night. So this is really fascinating. After the storm is over and the people are rebuilding, they're out there replanting their crops and, and reclaiming their things, the Sato caravan pulls up once again. Sato, now having been thoroughly degrinched, shows up with a flotilla of his corporate machinery and cronies and hard-headed technicians to try and start to rebuild the village properly. Yeah. Uh, and he also has the deed to the village, which he promptly hands over to Mr. Miyagi, who I hope in turn hands it over to the rest of the villagers. And it, no, no, actually, Daniel still has that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so no, but the other thing is that Sato now... Again, keeping the Capra-esque vein of the show, now that he's no longer alienated by capitalism and power, is wearing the suit of a worker. You know, That's with true. A, with a patch on it like a maintenance man, kind of like Mr. Miyagi. They're now equal there to help rebuild. Also, Sato has clearly gotten a lot cooler. <laughs> yeah, he's learned how to, to shake hands like a cool dude with Daniel. I would also like to congratulate Sato on apologizing in person, face-to-face, like a real mensch. Like a true mensch. Yeah. And at that moment, Daniel decides to ask Mr. Sato if they can have the Oban dance there, the Oban festivals coming up, which is the traditional Buddhist festival for the ancestors that is a Japanese Buddhist festival. Uh, it also has some Confucian origins, I think. And that this is traditionally and appropriately for this film, although it's celebrated differently with different kinds of dancing in different regions, intended as, as a way of celebrating the ancestors where people return to their ancestral home to pay tribute. So Sato, his heart having grown those three sizes, agrees. Yes, he he, yes. he opens up old historical matte painting castle for a full Return of the Jedi ending style Oban festival where everyone is dancing and celebrating the love. Fun fact, this is this is shot on a studio set in Hollywood that they had to use because it could be filled with water and then drained. And they do this because there's a little moat and an island inside the matte painting fortress where the center of the dancing is taking place where mr miyagi and sato and daniel and kumiko and everyone are all dancing including the bell girls dancing with daniel 
Daniel has now, Daniel is now outfitted with a sweet, a, a really, really nice silk Miyagi brand kimono slash leisure jacket, making him look really, really spiffy. And he's got his tinagui on. Yeah, this, this is the, the flower. This is the action figure outfit Daniel's got on right now. Exactly. Complete with, complete with tenagu- Yeah, complete with Tenagui accessories. White dress shirt, jeans and sneakers, covered with kimono, leisure jacket, and Tenagui. Yes. Now it is Kumiko's time to shine. That's right. She's yeah. going to do her solo bone dance. Yes. With Hokusai as the wave imprinted on the skirt, it looks like. That is exactly what that is. Yeah, Tamlin Tamita, once again... Nailing it. Yeah, being one of the shining stars of this movie, because much like the filmmakers themselves, she's clearly done her homework, doing excellent justice to some traditional Japanese dancing here at the end. She's dancing with a fan and making lots of mushy eye contact with Daniel. It's beautifully staged imagery. They pan out to show her dancing with the light strings of lanterns behind her, and then boom, it becomes Satan's zipline. As Chosen, dressed in full Mortal Kombat regalia, <laughs> zip lines in to the stage to basically threaten Kamiko. He's going to try and force Daniel into a confrontation here right at the very end. Just when we thought everything was going to be all right, uh, Chosen shows up for one last martial arts melee. Cobra Kai fans will note the knife. You see, Chosen doesn't just zip line in on a pulley system. No, no. He rides in on a knife that in episode two of Cobra Kai, Daniel says he picked up in Okinawa. I picked up this bad boy on my first trip to Okinawa. He did not say that he picked it up off of Chosen's unconscious body, but this must be the knife, This right? must be the knife, which later will be used for sushi. Cool. So yeah, Daniel comes on. At this point, cool Chosen, story, Daniel. Chosen is holding a knife to Kumiko's neck. And Sato has tried to talk him down. But he's like, I'm dead. Do you remember? And Sato here sees, just as we will see in Cobra Kai, some senseis may come to regret their teachings. Sato is regretting having trained Chosen in such vicious ways because now Chosen is fully unhinged, threatening mm-hmm. Kumiko and forcing Daniel to fight him with the bridge across the moat thrown out. There will be no escape. It's going to be a fight yes. to the death. There's no possible way they can escape without getting their pants wet. Yeah. So now they must fight to the death. He's thrown Kumiko aside as the fight begins. And I think at this point, Mr. Miyagi had warned him this fight was for real. Once again, as we're reminded earlier in the movie, this fight is to the death. No referees, no holds barred, as they say. Daniel goes in for the old reliable crane kick. Miyagi gives him a nod, saying almost to Daniel telepathically. All crane technique. Do right, or can defense. However, uh, Chosen has a defense. It's grabbing his leg and just flipping him the hell over. It's called being evil Miyagi-Do means you already know the crane kick. That's right. I mean, what? <laughs> this is the movie where we learn what happens when an unstoppable kick meets an invulnerable defense. <laughs> you can tell that Chosen is trained more formally in Miyagi-Do over years and years. But Daniel can give as good as he gets. Like, he can go in for kidney punches. He can fight. And they're hurting each other. And it would be comical if they weren't in such obvious pain as they stagger around and Ralph Macchio's blinking his blackening eye back. This is rough. They're, like, kicking each other into these lion statues. 
It's brutal. Yeah, somehow this feels more brutal than the tournament fight at the end of Karate Kid 1, which at this point is the only Karate Kid to this point that we have any knowledge of, right? Yeah. So, like, this is definitely upping the stakes in a significant way. The fight feels a little dirtier, a little sloppier. Yep. However, just as both Chosen and Daniel are staggering away, Tamlin Tamita looks up, and we cut back to Mr. Miyagi and Sato, and everyone has their ceremonial drums out, as if to remind Daniel, hey, that thing earlier? Hey, maybe you should try that thing. And the music begins to swell, and we get the dun-dun-dun again, but also it's overlaid with really intense chords yeah, conveying the gravity of the situation. And then all of a sudden, Daniel embodies the drum. Daniel does embody the drum, the secret drum technique, which is a block and a punch at the same time, but then you just kind of do it a lot. As Brianna Davidson, fanfic author, has written in one of her fantastic fics, you're using the force of your body as you swing to defend. Ooh. So even as you punch, that then becomes a defense as you swing. It is a, it's a punch and a defense all in one. Exactly. No one's ever thought to do this before. Exactly. And Daniel, having completely absorbed all of Miyagi-Do's teachings, decides rather than to deliver a killing blow. Yeah, he raises his arm against him and or raises his hand up in the air, kind of like Mr. Miyagi has done, and says, Live or die, man! As Klingon John Larroquette says at the end of Star Trek Three, Chosen said, I do not deserve to live. He just honks his nose. Uh, and then as Daniel embraces Kamiko, we cut back to Mr. Miyagi over the shoulder, giving Daniel... Once again, an approving smile. And that is the last shot of this movie as well. Uh, Not just a smile. A wink. A wink and a smile. A wink and a smile as if saying... They go together like a wink and a smile. Indeed. And that's the end of Karate Kid 2. If you've been with us this long, you must be a true fan. And we salute you. Holy moly. Holy moly. Well, Jenny, what do you think of about this? Well, it's not an episode, but what do you think about this movie? So, okay. Um, I'm really happy that we put, we put this at this point in our podcast because we, as I said, we just finished watching Counterbalance and Cobra Kai mm-hmm. where we see that Daniel's having a midlife crisis and a crisis of faith in himself. And it, it's really interesting to watch this movie through that lens and through the lens of Cobra Kai and with our awareness. Also, Karate Kid Part 3, which I won't talk much about here because we're going to do another review episode. And having seen this now, I'm I'm super excited to go back and listen to other podcast review episodes of this one because I've waited to listen. This is like so interesting because I think as I watch this, that middle-aged Daniel in Cobra Kai mm-hmm. has as much to learn from the story of Sato as he has to learn from the story of Mr. Miyagi, right? We see that Sato is on a journey. Sato has to reconnect mm-hmm. with karate beyond using it as a gimmick to further his professional brand. So Daniel and Johnny and Cobra Kai, although Johnny is certainly no Mr. Miyagi, but Daniel at least has lessons to absorb from the perspective, not just of Mr. Miyagi, but from the perspective of Sato. And I also saw that the POV shift established in the first few moments sets up the way in which they did the POV shift in Cobra Kai. So just in terms of what comes after, it's really neat to watch this movie. On its own merits, I would say this movie is very well made. Uh, Maybe not as simple, as timeless, 
as the Karate Kid because it has so much lifting to do to incorporate the past story into this new story. Mm-hmm. But it's it's something. What about you? What are your thoughts? I'm glad that that you mentioned that because your thoughts and right where my thoughts begin in the sense ah. that with a lot of these 80s movies and with the Karate Kid I, series, I feel this is also true, is that it's very hard to think now retrospectively about these movies as individual products. Like, now we think of them as their franchises or as their stories as a whole. And I think that kind of does a disservice to movies like this, which are, which, to put it bluntly, are really, really good. Like, like, the 80s in particular had an issue with long-running movie series, some of which could vary wildly in quality from one to the other. Star Trek, I'm looking at you. Rocky, I'm looking at you. Uh, (laughs) um, But, like, the Karate Kid movies, if there had just been a the first Karate Kid and that had been a standalone movie and there had never been any sequels, it would have still been perfect. It was a It's a perfect little nugget of a movie, right? The Karate Kid 2, yes, you're correct. It needs the Karate Kid 1 to exist, and by that virtue, it's never going to excel over Karate Kid 1, right? I feel the, because of the way they handle it, it's just as good as The Karate Kid, just in a different way. If there had been no other movies or TV shows and it was just Karate Kid and The Karate Kid Part 2, they do form this nice, perfect duology. Exactly. Where, yeah, where Karate Kid 1 is Daniel's story, Karate Kid 2 is Miyagi's story. And together, because the you know both of them are all about Daniel and Miyagi and their dynamic together. Having these two movies as a part one and a part two where part one is Daniel's story, part two is Miyagi's story, that makes perfect sense. Now, uh, like you said, we're not going to spoil our our podcast about three, but three is where things start to go wildly off the rails. But for now, uh, everything is good in the Karate Kid world. We've we've wrapped up this very cool globetrotting adventure with Mr. Miyagi We've learned a lot about him as a character, which, you know, in the in the first Karate Kid, he was very cryptic. Other than the little pieces that Daniel could piece together, we didn't really know a lot about Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Now we know way more about Mr. Miyagi than we'd ever thought we'd know. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree with you. This is a fantastic duology scene together. You know, how we find fathers and sons, how we find mentors and students, parents and children in all kinds of places, and the ways in which pride and honor can be corrosive or enabling get explored in really interesting ways. And also both of these two movies really cut to the heart of what it means to belong somewhere, what it means to contribute, how you can be a citizen in ways that, that expand your world, like by engaging with others, by embracing nonviolence, by training. So as not to fight, right. Optimizing yourself in that way. Um, are deeply respectful to, while I'm certain not perfectly accurate in terms of the cultures at play, are deeply respectful to and draw their plots from the, the stakes of actual historical situations, right? Yeah. Post-war Japan, immigration culture in the United States, and what it means to leave and to arrive. These two movies really convey that together very, very well. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would like to... Uh, give Daniel props for, uh, you know, much like the movie is very respectful of the culture. I think 
you nailed it earlier when you said that like this is not like it could have been so easy for this to get really orientalist and present you know okinawa as just this baffling place that daniel is constantly having like comedy of errors style trying to get his handle on it but no daniel is actually a good tourist he studied before he even got on the plane like uh you know once he's in okinawa like he lets people like kind of take him by the hand and show him hey this is this is what this is this is how we do tea ceremony like he's in in once again like daniel is a bit of a hothead but he's a very nice respectful kid he's a hothead with a heart (laughs) he's a hothead with a heart of gold for sure he is this lays the groundwork for the daniel that we do see in cobra kai who is just like you know he gets a little hipstery with it in his later years but uh he definitely has a genuine love and respect of the culture yeah yeah, I mean, the the thing about it is that you were saying that about it. it could be Orientalist, and I was saying that. And that was what I was alluding to when there's that musical flourish when Mr. Miyagi arrives to save Daniel from uh, Shosen and the, and, the other, and the other henchmen. is like Mr. Miyagi, at this point, gets... Uh, when, just FYI, we might have mentioned this on our original Karate Kid episode, but when... We were pleased on that soundtrack that there was no dun 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 like cheesy martial arts yeah. flourish, but you get the closest thing to that here with Mr. Miyagi when he comes swoops in to help Daniel out, and it feels super earned because the soundtrack, all the things feel like we're watching a martial arts movie, um, and so like not aping it, not being like a copy of it, but just doing paying respect to that genre and to that way of thinking about. Uh, combat and relationships and actually on the heels of that i wanted to ask you colin has an exhaustive knowledge of martial arts cinema particularly from china but also japanese cinema and i was wondering what you think about how this works as a as a like an asian style martial arts movie uh i think it works very well it it helps being in japan like uh, that helps or hollywood japan let's just say it helps being in the environment that is, you know, kind of appropriate. Like I said earlier, it feels like at points Daniel is is kind of a uh, bystander in in what is a larger samurai or ninja movie. On one of our rewatches, I felt like it has in common with something like the Thirty Six Chambers of Shaolin, which is about like the democratization of you know kung fu. Uh, and and the way it was kind of uh, it kind of became a tool a of the movie. people, yeah, yeah. As a as a martial arts movie, it works really well because Miyagi has this secret specific style of karate, Miyagi Do, that he inherited from his father and his father's father. And you should only practice it a certain way, and you should never pervert it. And what happens? His fellow student, someone who should his be like brother. a brother to him, yeah. uh has basically turned evil and perverted it and now Miyagi in a way has to come back and like clean house a little bit and get everybody on the same page. Are you trying to tell me that George Lucas stole the plot of Revenge of the Sith from Robert Mark Kamen by having Sato as the Anakin figure and and well, Mr. Miyagi as the Obi-Wan figure? Well, seeing as Lucas stole so much of his stuff from Kurosawa, I think that's only that's fair. That's only fair. That's <laughs> fitting and appropriate. God knows, right? Yeah, so exactly. I mean, there is no, I mean, uh, you know, uh, theft and art and all that. I think it's, uh, it all, what goes around comes around. So I think in, in a way, yes, this is a, a pretty solid martial arts movie, probably even more 
so than any of the other Karate Kid movies. We'll see if Cobra Kai uh, goes in this direction more in in coming seasons, but uh, but so far this is uh, you know this is this is pretty much the pinnacle, and you know Pat Morita gets to fight a lot more in this one. Man, I just have to say, like like so well acted, so um, done with such understated grace. Yeah, I mean, even when even when it gets over the top with Sato threatening or Chosen being the, the female the characters, punk, the punk that he is, yeah, are treated yeah. respectfully. Yeah, the women they the have women, their own integrity. The women are all on journeys of their own. I would have liked to have seen. I mean, for really getting down to brass tacks, I would have liked to have seen more about Kumiko uh, pursuing her dream. But we will get references to that in the Karate Kid Part Three, even though Tamlin Timmy is not in it. Um, you know, so, but they're on, they're on paths, they're on journeys Mm -hmm. and it's well set. It's well cast. It's well shot. It's, it's again, the level of investment is the same. It's just that you, that this is also, it should be noted a movie flush with money because the first one did so well. So you can tell that they're, that they've ramped it up, but it still has Mm. that heart that makes these movies that makes this I guess this franchise that makes the Miyagi verse worth exploring. It's it's the biggest budget small movie I think I I remember seeing in a long time because yeah. it's like it's like yes except for Creed. Don't forget Creed. Yes. What I mean by that is like it's a very small self-contained story but they choose to flash their money in strange ways like having like they didn't need to have military helicopters flying by in in scenes over and over again. When the but they vice were like, president we, visits you on set, though. But that was only once. There were other times where they were just like, yeah. eh, throw a helicopter in there. We need a little flavor. Like exactly. we need to be reminded that we're next to this military base. Like, but that is, but that is in a way. I mean, again, I agree with you. Like that's evidence of their budget and. And, and evidence of their might in terms of making this movie, but but in a way that the atmosphere of of occupation is is key to this film, and it oh, drives no. the nervousness that which under which these people live. I'm not saying it's unjustified. I'm just saying like if the budget were smaller, it would have been one helicopter maybe once, and yeah. it would. And yes, it may have been the president or not, but or it would have been like a GI Joe helicopter or a micro machine held up with fishing. Yeah, line. you could have done that with models, exactly for sure. Like, I mean, they weren't afraid to use that matte painting. They could have easily thrown a model helicopter composited in the background, but they didn't need to. They had real ones, and they were like, "Yeah, let's use them." Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the Karate Kid Part Two. So that's the Karate Kid Part 2. So yes, we will see you next time for the next episode of Cobra Kai. The next episode that we'll be watching is Episode 6, Quiver. How will Daniel, now having reconnected with his Miyagi nature after having taken a detour into Satodom, uh, pursue his new karate lifestyle? And what will happen now that Johnny has a bevy of students wanting to join his dojo? Until then, I've been Colin Canaday. I've been Jenny Carlson, and we'll see you around the Miyagi-verse. See you around the Miyagi-verse. This podcast has been produced and hosted by Colin Canaday and Jenny Carlson. Our music is by Chepo. You can find us online at areyoukaratekiddingme.com and wherever you download podcasts.